Hi, I'm Suraj Partha. Welcome to Art in All Its Forms. So today I'm speaking with Nick George. Nick George is an actor, Alexander Technique teacher, and musician based in Venice, California. He's appeared on numerous TV shows, including This Is Us, Good Girls Revolt, and American Horror Story. He was a charter member of the Kent Kleinman Studio in Hollywood for 10 years and studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse and HB Studios in New York City. He was a senior faculty member at the Playground Conservatory in Los Angeles for 15 years. He works with students in the performing arts programs as a guest teacher at Pomona College each semester. He is a graduate of the three-year, 1,600-hour AMSAT program at the Alexander Technique Training Institute of Los Angeles, and he has been my AT teacher for just over six months. Nick, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be with you, Suraj. So let's uh, start off, well, I think I'll start off with actually how I came to even consider taking an Alexander Technique class with you. And, and then you can tell our audience a little bit about what Alexander Technique is, because I think that's one of the notorious... What is it? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the no- notoriously tricky things to do, I think, about this technique, sure. is to really verbalize sure. it. Yeah. I think I heard about Alexander Technique for the first time through USC's drama school, because they have an Alexander Technique class. And I think they have an AT class for non-actors. And so it was actually a music teacher that recommended it to me, which is funny because I am an actor. So it was just a funny moment that I was like, hmm, I could try and take the AT class for non-actors, but then also I might want to take this as an actor. And so it never fit into my schedule at USC. And then I graduated and I was having a lot of interesting issues with my posture. And I was noticing this, like both my acting and my drumming, that I, you know, wasn't doing the typical sitting up straight and... I would get into an acting performance and within five minutes of having, you know, told myself, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to want to try and maintain a good posture through this performance or whatever, I would totally forget it. I'd be in whatever I was doing and I'd go back and look at a video and be like, oh, wow, I was really slouching my shoulders a lot or, or I was really having pain at the end of the performance. And so a friend of mine in my acting class recommended that I do Alexander Technique and so I was like, oh, okay, this is twice I've heard about this, so it might be worth giving it a shot. And he recommended me to you as he had taken some privates with you. So that's kind of how I came to Alexander Technique. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about what exactly the technique is? Yeah, great. I mean, I think your story is pretty pretty common to how you, how you arrive at the work. You know, you're like, oh, I'm having these issues. And somebody in your life says, oh, have you heard of this? And then you find your way. Um, I usually say the Alexander Technique is a transformational educational modality that works with the force of habit on a human being. So it looks at our posture, our balance, our coordination, and above all, our mental and emotional patterns. How some of those serve us and how many don't. Maybe a simpler way of saying it is the Alexander Technique is a set of tools that you learn to embody that can help you do whatever it is you do with more ease and less tension. Yeah, that's very succinct and I think covers most of the bases. So 
I mean, you can, maybe we can start off by how you would, or how you, you know, worked with me for the very first lesson. So what are the kinds of habits you're talking about? And how do you go about, you know, trying to, I guess, reprogram our brains and our bodies to be able to, you know, uh, move with more poise? Yeah, great. I mean, I think when you come in for the first time for a lesson or for a class, we start with your curiosity, like what's going on in your life and what's working and what's getting in your way. And oftentimes people show up with just general curiosity, but usually there's something going on. It's uh, I'm losing my voice or I'm feeling really anxious when I audition or perform. Some folks are recovering from an injury. You know, they're seeing a chiropractor or their doctor has said, hey, you should go try some Alexander technique as part of your rehab. And we have a conversation and we just take a look at at what's going on with you, what's working, what's not working, kind of what's getting in your way and what you'd like to address. And then slowly, you know, over time, or sometimes it's rapidly for people, kind of depends on the student, we start to investigate you, you know, through this lens and aperture of the Alexander Technique. So how are your habits affecting your life and what options do you have to, to make some change? Yes, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I noticed when I first started taking with you is we talked about like this movement and you like the use of our joints as preparation for our interview. I read the book that you sent me, which is called Body Learning by Michael Gelb. Um, and it's, you know, just an introduction and sort of an overall survey of the Alexander Technique. I'll put a link in the show notes. I, I genuinely do recommend the book, even for people who are just interested in reading something a little bit different. Um, and in, and the word like use is so prevalent in the book and it's capitalized. And, you know, from what little I sort of, well, from what little, but also I feel like what I've, I've learned a lot as well about what it means to have like the proper or a poised use of your body and like, you know, bending down to pick up certain things, like using your joints as opposed to just like going to your back. Um, but even in terms of like acting you know, I had to do this scene where I was essentially standing like a soldier for 20, 30 minutes. And how do I use my body in such a way that at the end of this performance, but also during the performance, I'm not just feeling pain in my shoulders and my neck. I'm not just tensing up, but I'm able to use my body as an instrument to be able to evoke emotion and to be able to put on a performance. So how would you define use? How would you talk about that? Yeah, that's great. And a really good place to start. You know, in fact, Alexander called it in, among other things, the study of the use of the self. So not just your body, but your entire self, which is kind of a funny concept. You know, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves and using ourselves in this way, but really we're using ourselves all the time. Like all of life is the use of ourselves. So you're making your breakfast, you're driving your car, you're working at your day job, you're auditioning. All of this is you bringing yourself to the moment. And AT is about looking at how you're doing that. And where are you being efficient and where are you not? And what options do you have to unpack that a little bit? And surprisingly, you know, that, that has so much, so much less to do with just how we're using our bodies, but also how our minds are, are the program, are driving it. You know, there's all this science that backs up and says we have no, absolutely no thoughts that are not accompanied by a physiological reaction. So that means every thought that I have is going to have some kind of small or large shift or change in my body. So we look at that. You know, we look at, well, what's going on? Like, what do you think? So if you're having a lot of anxiety in an auditioning experience, let's, let's take a look at what's going on 
you know, with your head and neck relationship with your fight or flight response, but also what are the thinking patterns that are stoking that, stoking that repeated process? And how can we learn to help you deconstruct that a little bit? And then come back to what's underneath, which is, you know, this balance and poise and coordination is your birthright. You know, if you're lucky enough to be born neurologically healthy, these are things that that are yours and that are waiting for you. And what's in the way is just what's been piled on on top of that stuff through nature and nurture and life in the modern world. Yes, the coronavirus. <laughs> How has that affected <laughs> <Exactly>. our <laughs> the use of our instrument? Yeah, I'd say it's fair to say there's seven billion humans on Earth in the fight or flight. You know, some varying stages of fight or flight right now. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's that, like, very famous, kind of maybe even overused, like, Picasso quote about, you know, it took me my whole life to learn how to paint like a child. And, I mean, it's overused, but it's also so profound that it, it makes sense. And I know that in Alexander Technique, we often go back to looking at, like, children and how children move and how unburdened they go through the world and there's like all these pictures of in this book of like children sort of standing and moving around and you're like wow they, they got all this stuff down <laughs> and yeah and so did I right I, I did too I remember that right. right you watch kids move and we all kind of you know for the most part we romanticize that that freedom that joy that emotional fluidity you know and how all that works Right. And like I was saying you know if you're born neurologically healthy we're incredible learners you know we come into the world with this incredible neuroplasticity, you know, this capacity to learn everything. And you and I have talked about this at length, but, you know, for our other listeners who may not know, it's like you, you learn more in the first five years of your life than you do the rest of your life combined. We're born with this immense, immense capacity for learning. And then, you know, things start to get, get in the way as we go through, as we go through life. Nature and nurture has an effect on on that, you know, one of the big ways is we're, we're asked very early in life to go from being a learner, which is a natural state of being, into being a student. And being, you know, being a student is a good thing, but sometimes that's mutually exclusive. You know, it's like you have this wild, connected, synergized human body and brain and life, and you're asked to sit in a desk for seven hours a day and hold a pencil and do things that are beyond your motor capacity at a young age. And before you know it, you're sitting there, you know, longing for recess as a young person or, you know, wanting to be free. And, and we go through, we go through life and a lot of these shifts happen. Yeah. So speaking of like children, so tell me a little bit about how you grew up. I send all of my like potential guests, you know, a little questionnaire to fill out. And I'm just honestly confused at this point because like you were born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, spent time in Montana and graduated high school in Montana and then came out to LA. So, and then you were in New York for some point. So you got to tell me a little bit about just your background overall. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm in the witness protection program. I can't tell you anything. <laughs> I can't. I can't tell you anything about where I'm from. Yeah, I've had a pretty circuitous route. I, there's been a lot of kind of travel and multifacets to my, you know, 39 years on on Earth. But I was born in the Pacific Northwest in in Eugene, Oregon, and I grew up mostly as a young boy on the Central Oregon coast, on the really beautiful kind of haunted, amazing coast of Oregon. And I was a homeschooled kid, which was great up until about fifth grade. Both of my parents were trained educators. And we kind of moved out to the boonies and just, they said, you know, let's just give Nick a couple hours of school in the morning and then let him just roam free, um, which I was allowed to do as a child, which was really huge. 
and I think pretty formative, that I was allowed to kind of let my own guidance system for the most part um, experience the first 10 years of my life. And then as I got into teenagerhood, you know, the rural coast of Oregon was great. There are great people there, but I wanted a little bit more. And my mother is from Western Montana, um, the great town of Missoula, which is in the West there. And I had an aunt there and I decided, Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go out and check that, check out Missoula and try, try some high school there. And it was a really amazing transformation for me. I did a couple years of high school there, got really into doing the arts, um, that's when the acting bug bit me. And then after that, it was, I got on the, the actor conveyor belt, you know, like thousands of actors before and after me, I loaded up my Honda CRX after a summer of working construction and drove out to LA and knew two people and said, let's hustle an acting dream and make some music and see what happens. And still still on that adventure yeah i have so much respect for people who did it that way um because i I was privileged in the fact that i was able to come out here with my parents so my mom came and stayed in an apartment with me when i was 12 13 to see like hey what what's this pilot season situation (laughs) you know how's this gonna go through all of that i mean you know my family ended up essentially moving out for me and I went to high school here in, in L.A. and, uh, you know, college here. And my family's still here. And my dad works in Tennessee and flies back and forth. And so what I hear stories of people just coming out, you're like, oh, I've got a suitcase. I've got a car. All right, sure, let's come to L.A. I mean, I have a friend of mine who was living in Buffalo, New York, uh, which is coincidentally where I was born. But one day, like at her desktop, she just said, I couldn't take it anymore. I got up from my desk, went to my boss, told him I'd quit, and my parents booked me a one-way ticket to Los Angeles. <laughs> that's awesome. And I came here. And I'm like, that's an insane yeah. story. So tell me a little bit about, you know, you just coming out here and having to, like you said, hustle this acting career. Um, and how did you end up, you know, uh, getting into places that were, you know, reputable and finding places to study and then you know at some point you went through this Alexander Technique training so how did that how did you make that jump from I know nobody to I'm teaching at Pomona College etc well I think you know it's it's like I'm always cautious to say it's good to start dreams when you're young because that leaves out the large swath of the population who should hear always that you should start living your dream today you know and at any stage of life um but the upside when you're young, you know, 12, 13, or 18 in my case, you know, you don't know any better. You know, my case was I was 18 and I had been moving around a little bit. And it was like, I got to that point in high school where it's kind of like everybody around you is quote unquote figuring out what the next step is. And there was just nothing that I liked doing more than collaborative arts. You know, that's just where I was in my, in my juice, in my mojo, in my passion. And it was like, well, do I go to New York where I know zero people or do I go to L.A. where I know two people? (laughs) I had a friend who was going to USC, your alma mater, who was, um, we had been in a band together in Oregon and he had come out and we were good friends. And my stepsister, Autumn, who's a great um, dancer, she was on scholarship at the dance studio in Hollywood called The Edge. So I was like, well, I know Autumn and I know Ben. That's, you know, 200% more than I know in New York. So I came out and I just like, I think... It was pretty intuitive and very lucky how it all happened early. You know, beginner's mind is a pretty powerful state to be in. Um, I enrolled at SMC for a year, Santa Monica College, which is a 
great community college on the west side of LA. Mm-hmm, and they had a pretty good acting program going there. And as an 18 year old, I was like, oh, cool. James Dean went there and Dustin Hoffman went there. And it doesn't cost 50000 a year, you know? So I did a year, I, I, I kind of did the entire theater program at SMC in a year. I just did that and like took one English and one philosophy class. Um, and it was really good. And I met some teachers there. I did a couple plays. And one of the plays that I did, which was a student production, it got into the New York Fringe Festival. And so I went to New York for the summer to do this play. It was like a kind of modern adaptation of Danton's death, the the French Revolution play. And it was so fun. I mean, I was 19 and living in New York in the East Village and doing this play. And I was just like, this is it. Like, this is what I want to be doing. I don't want to be going to college right now. I just want to be focusing on acting. And I got back and just through a series of very kind of cosmic flow state, passion, creation, manifestation events, a few early acting hurdles just kind of lined up. I was like, okay, I need a headshot. And I went and got a picture taken and the photographer was a super nice guy. And he's like, oh, you should have a commercial agent. And he called a commercial agent and I met that agent. And then they were like, oh, do you have a manager? And it just kind of like snowballed Mm -hmm. that way. And in that first year, I met a really amazing couple, a husband and wife team that had, they had a management company at that time. They no longer do. Uh, Gary Spatz and his wife, Jill Nyron, who are wonderful people. And they took me on and they had this really cool familial small pod of actors. We were kind of training together and auditioning together and getting out in the world. And, And that gave me a little bit of early community that I think is really important and hard to find in LA. You know, you can come out to LA and spend 10 years trying to find your tribe, but that stuff locked in really early for me. And so that was good. And I mean, that got me going. I had a lot of hurdles and a lot of things to jump over vis-a-vis training and growing as an artist and a person, just surviving my early 20s. But it got off to a pretty smooth start. I relate to a lot of that because the whole way that you even manage to have an artistic career is you just have to kind of exactly what you said, jump from one thing to the next and just trust. You're just trusting a lot of relationships. So like I went to go get headshots and the uh, the other person who was booked that day happened to recommend me to a drum teacher. That drum teacher recommended me to like a band program in the Valley called Join the Band, which funnily enough, I now teach at. So I'm a drum set teacher at Join the Band, but I was a student before. A mom there recommended me to a summer camp. The percussion teacher at that summer camp recommended me to USC. And so like that was the the way that that whole thing went down in terms of my music. And in terms of my acting, my vocal teacher in Memphis, who had taught Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears when they were young in Tennessee, he was the person who took me out to New York and to LA to audition in front of agents and managers and... That was the year, like around that time was when Slumdog Millionaire was huge (laughs) and like won an Oscar. And so everyone was, had sort of opened their eyes to like, oh, Indians and acting, like what? (laughs) And so sort of buoyed by that like success story, I like showed up in LA and everyone's like, oh, we need an Indian kid on our client roster. Great. And so like the idea of things sort of falling into place is something that, is yeah that just feels very personal to me and I think to a lot of actors you know I went through a through a time early in my career when I was really struggling that you it was like I, I almost 
I feel a little blasphemous saying this, but there was a point where I was just kind of over actors. I was like, oh God, we're all neurotic and everybody's me, me, me. And we're fighting so hard and scrapping for these things and it should be collaborative, but it feels like this battle. And, and then I kept going and I kept kind of just like hanging in there. And I think the Alexander training really shifted my perspective. It just how fucking courageous actors and performers are. I mean, we've got to be among the most courageous people on the planet because it's, it's a lot of confrontation with stimulus and yourself and the world. And I think in early on, you're, you're bold. You know, you're emboldened to begin something, and that's a really easy time. And then the longer you go, the more you have to kind of work at cultivating and renewing that sense of trust and the ability to kind of manifest and just show up with an open heart and take care of yourself. Yeah, there's, there's a great uh, line from this song. One Republic has a song called Secrets. And it's like a you know, super big pop hit. But like when I went and really listened back to the lyrics, one of my favorite lines is, I'm going to give all my secrets away. And I, I don't think there's any better description of an artist than that one. Like that that's what we're doing. And that's why it, it takes so much courage because usually secrets are things that we keep inside of us. And artists are the ones who say, you know what? I have the secret. I'm going to tell everybody about it so that they know that it's okay because I have it too and they have it too. That's really, really beautiful. I think it's time to get maybe a little bit into the mechanics of Alexander and let me kind of run through my process of how things have gone and maybe you can, you know, act as a sounding board for me. Love it. <laughs> so, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So, you know, we talked a little bit about me uh, drumming and how I was just noticing this like leaning forward that I was doing as I was playing. So what I felt was like a typical, I hear I'm playing drums and this is, these are like the beats I'm playing and here's like some jazz improv I'm doing and here's a little bit of soloing. And I felt like I was sitting up straight in this position, which, you know, the more and more that we talk about Alexander Technique, we sort of look at that as maybe not the most efficient way to think about posture and think about our bodies or our minds is like a position that we want to maintain. So talk a little bit about how you think about that because it's also in in the book which is like Alexander technique is not about doing things or positioning things because no matter what you do if you try to position your head or position your neck or your back a certain way your habits will override that and you won't really be able to get what you think you're getting yeah and I mean this is kind of like also diving in at maybe second or third base a little bit but this idea of you know, nothing feels more right to us than our habits. Like we were talking about that at the top of the top of the podcast. You know, we develop these things and they just become normal. And that's why changing a habit is so challenging is because it becomes the status quo. It becomes the way that we experience the world. So, you know, you can be drumming for thousands of hours in practice rooms at USC and become a really great drummer, which you are, and I've heard you heard you drum. And then you can come out and go, yeah, I still, you know, I play for an hour and my shoulders hurt or my jaw hurts, or I get achy. What's up with that? And then you come and we do a lesson together. And, you know, among many other things that an Alexander Technique teacher can help you with is, is to give you some different feedback, not only visually, but psychophysically, right? So there are, there are two main components to how Alexander Technique works. One is verbal. You know, we talk about principles and we talk about what's 
what's going on with you and different ways of thinking about things and observing yourself. And then the other is hands-on. You know, we put hands on your body to help kind of guide you into noticing, oh, wow, yeah, I do have a lot of extra effort in my shoulder joint or in my low back or in my jaw. And what does it look, feel like, what is the experience of letting that release a little bit? And then that can begin to teach you about your habits, which is good. You know, the awareness of our habits is something that we want. You know, we're never going to be able to banish our habits away. So I think, you know, the most productive thing to do, and that we talk a lot about in Alexander, is just getting really, really familiar with what we do habitually so that we can begin to separate ourselves from that and make a new choice and give you a different set. You know, when you're sitting in your, it's called the throne, right? When you sit at the drums, mm-hmm. when you're sitting in yeah, your yeah, throne, yeah. you go, yeah, cool. This thing that I think is sitting up straight is actually me stretching out all the curves of my spine. And that takes a lot of energy. And if I play for two hours, I'm toast. So I can put hands on you or an Alexander teacher can put hands on you and go, cool. Yeah. I can think into my back. I can do a little less here. And it usually, the experience of that can feel a little strange and or familiar, but usually pretty rapidly for people, you start to notice, wow, um, this feels a lot easier I'm doing less. And most of the time, your work sounds better, which is interesting. It's like changing the product through an attentional focus on process. I would be remiss, I think, in a conversation about Alexander Technique to not talk a little bit about inhibition and direction. <laughs> and like the concept of inhibiting for Alexander is a little bit different. Why don't you just give me like, a, like the quick definition of inhibition yeah, well, and for context for the you know for the listeners who've never even heard of Alexander, it's you know the there are three main principles of the Alexander technique, and you know at risk of kind of talking about things that we could spend hours on each topic, you know, the first is awareness, and awareness is super important because without awareness, nothing can change. You know, if I'm not aware that I always stand with all of my weight on one leg, I don't have the possibility of the opportunity of changing that habit. So we always begin with awareness and expanded awareness. How can I observe myself less judgmentally with more curiosity so that I can explore the possibility of change? And most importantly, so I can explore the possibility of choice, which is where the second principle comes in. Alexander called that inhibition, which we don't always use that phrase anymore. Like classically, that's what we call it. Alexander was a contemporary of Freud. So, and they were using the terms in much different contexts. You know, Freud was talking about our inhibitions as the things that hold us back. And Alexander was talking about it as a, as an ability to stop an unwanted reaction to stimulus. So meaning we become such habitual creatures as we go through the world that for the most part, we're just reacting to stuff that happens to us. And what we're losing is this incredible innate basic superpower that we have as human beings, which is to pause and stop and choose, aka respond. So inhibition is that little exploration between what's the difference between reacting, which is 95, well, 100% of the time, a habit, and responding, which can be full of choice and choosing something that's more in line with my values or what I want to experience or how I want to be able to go about that. So inhibition is like being able to stop, create a space between stimulus and response, and then choose. And then direction is the third principle, which you kind of alluded to. And then the direction is about learning how to 
release your body out of the fight or flight mechanism, which typically is taking us out of that stress response so that our nervous systems, our bodies, our brains, our voices, ourselves can be more free. And you learn to practice those three steps. Like that's essentially what, you know, an Alexander Technique lesson, series of lessons is and or a class is you spend some time looking at those, learning how to apply those three things and then putting them in your life. And I always say they're only of value to you is how you can use them to enrich your life. And for the most part, my life's been really enriched by Alexander Technique. And I would say the vast majority of people that I've worked with, it's been really a pleasure to observe that happening there. Yeah, I have, I think, struggled with what, I mean, I think a lot of actors struggle with this, especially initially, which is like, what the hell do you do with your body while you're acting? For me, the steps have been, okay, well, first of all, I have to be less self-conscious and just sort of, you know, let a lot of the emotion drive what's happening. So, you know, some of my first notes that acting teachers would give me, which drove me bonkers, and they still drive me nuts, which is when it's like, you got to get out of your head. I hate that note with a passion because I'm like, I, I like to use my brain. I'm just letting you know, like, that's something I like to do. But the point was taken. And so I was like, okay, if the character needs to be sad, I can feel that sadness as a human being and I can put that on screen. Cool, done. And then you kind of are going through more education. And then I'm like, okay, well, let me really investigate. What am I doing? And what am I doing that's working? What is there that I'm doing that isn't working as much for me? And then Alexander was this weird trip where I felt like I was almost doing the process backwards to the way I used to do it. Originally, if there was some content in the scene, I would look at it and I would, you know, try and create images, which I, I still do. And I would, you know, try to uh, connect something in the scene to something in my life. And then that, whatever was happening in my head, would, I would then try to translate that to the rest of my body. And with Alexander, for the first time, we did a little bit of hands-on work, and we went through some of the scene work, and we started recognizing that as I released certain tension in places, as I found space, as I was able to have a better kinesthetic awareness, like a better sense of my anatomy and how I move, that from that, like almost from the ground up, literally, that started affecting my work in a way that was totally intuitive, and I didn't have to think through it. And that was shocking for me. It's, it's really great and really well articulated and wonderful to hear that, you know, not just as a testimonial, but I think what you're describing is what a lot of people experience. That's what I experienced in my sort of first Alexander Technique, you know, lessons. I was exposed to it in acting school a little bit. And, and I remember standing on stage and, and working on a monologue. I was working on some Shakespeare, taking a deep dive. And I was struggling, as it's very easy to do with Shakespeare, because it's just, you know the heaviest dope ever written in the English language. And I just wasn't connecting, you know, and it wasn't simple and it was complicated and I was in my head and just doing too much. And this teacher came over and, you know, put his hands on the back of my neck and then, you know, so funny, now I know what he was doing, but also at the back of my knees, you know, like kind of got me to soften the back of my knees, which were locked. And all of a sudden I was just bawling, you know, I was just crying, you know, on stage in front of the whole class and, and lights. And that's that very vulnerable, discombobulating moment. You know, you feel like, oh my God, I'm feeling so vulnerable and scared and raw. And then I did the piece, you know, and it just kind of just comes right out. 
you know, it's like the door opens up and there it, there it is in all its glory. And it was a 10th of the effort, you know, with a hundred percent more fullness. And I think primarily, you know, the, one of the greatest challenges that we have, and Alexander talked about this a lot in his books, is what he called end gaining, which means we're all super good as a creature at holding a desired result in mind. And that can be big. You know, my phone's ringing. I want to pick up my phone. Or it could be, I want to go nail my audition. Or I got to crush this test I'm about to take. And what we do is we just focus on getting that, getting that goal without paying much attention to the process by which we go about getting it. And Alexander called that the means whereby we achieve our end. And I think that's what Alexander Technique is. You know, and it's a path or a way to reconnect with yourself and the way that you are in the present moment. It is a, it is a set of tools that help you be more present and help bring you back to yourself in that moment and deepen your living experience. And for an actor, that's everything, you know, because you're trying to just inhabit that world and your character. And oftentimes the best way to fully do that is to just fully inhabit yourself. Yeah, that's such a great segue actually to the quote that I wanted to talk with you about a little bit. Um, so this comes directly from that the Gell book. And uh, he puts a quote in here from Margaret Goldie, who was an Alexander Technique teacher. And she was talking about doing Alexander Technique with children, like very young children, you know, six to ten. And she said, the end for which the children are working is of minor importance as compared to the way they direct the use of themselves for the gaining of that end. Boom. And it kind of dawned on me, like as I was reading this, that, you know, this is like basically exactly what you said about the means whereby, like how do we get to that place and how little time we actually spend thinking about how we get to that place. And it kind of dawned on me that really that's true for everybody. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's as yeah. true for me as it is for you, as it is for any child, that the end is certain, which is death. I mean, <laughs> like it's, that's, it's happening, right? And Indeed. there's this Buddhist quote that I remember, which is just, the cause of death is birth. And I think about my acting work now in a different way after like even just reading this book, which is just the process is literally everything. Like that's the whole point. And we spend so little time thinking about it, even though we say we do, which is the fun part, right? Because we, we say we think about the process, but I know for a fact, I spent so much time thinking about, oh God, I had this audition, I have this callback, and then I can't book. God damn it, I couldn't book. And that like feeling of the industry kind of coming up on you is very different from I think the way that I try to look at acting now, which is to look at it as a means whereby I express myself, a means whereby I communicate something to an audience, whatever that may be. I just love that quote. I thought that was something really special. Yeah, it's really good. And I mean, it's so refreshing to hear her talking about doing that with children because, God, if we could offer anything to the kids, you know, it would be that. It's like this holistic idea of being in what you're doing, you know, with yourself rather than the end. And our conditioning is so much deeper than we could even begin to process about, 
you know, be the fastest, be the best, win, win, win. Like you said, book, you know, that's like a, that's an actor term, you know, that you don't know until you move to LA. Like everybody's talking about <laughs> booking. Is somebody going to hit me with a book? You know, like what the hell are we talking about? It's like, oh, right. oh, it's getting a job. And therefore, you know, like asserting and affirming my existence in, in the universe. You know, it's like, I, I remember being like, what the hell, you know, what the hell does that even, what the hell does that even mean? I did want to pivot to your, just your inspirations in terms of artistic inspirations and uh, how you think about that in your work. So, I, you know, as a musician, obviously, you know, you're inspired by all kinds of different musicians here. When we've talked about this in our lessons, everything from Miles Davis to Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam, that's one we've talked about a little bit. How do you consider like the interdisciplinary nature of art or of Alexander Technique and how do you use that to your advantage? It's a really great question. I mean, I th for me, I think my piece about that is that, you know, the longer I do anything creative, the more I see the interconnectedness and the value of just living a creative life. You know, it's like, I almost don't even think about it as interdisciplinary anymore. I mean, maybe it's not that I don't think that's valid, but it's like, you know, if I'm at home and I'm, you know, doing some painting with my daughter at the table, you know, if we're really in the zone, it's coming from the same place that if I'm out in my home studio, you know, banging out a self-tape audition or if I'm driving across town, you know, it's it's about creating the time and space and opportunity to get connected and to express yourself or express myself. And that's really the valuable thing for me at this stage of my journey. I've always used music as a trigger for my acting work, um, like certain lines of text or certain, even chord progressions. There are some chord progressions that like I can listen to them. I know what the context of it is and it can put me in the place I need to be. That's really interesting. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. And that's, that's what's so cool about, you know, I mean, what you're talking about is, you know, you're a multifaceted artist as well, musician and actor and podcast host. <laughs> yeah. You know how all those things it's a new one. mix. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel like we in LA have hyphenated business cards. You know, you were asking me before you're like, in what order do you want me to say these things? <laughs> no, I ask people this all the time. I've actually asked this question on the podcast, which is how do you introduce yourself to other people? Right. Because depending on the room, it changes. Um, depending on, I think, honestly, what mood I'm in, you know, if I've had a really bad, like day of acting work, you know, or a day where I feel like I haven't made a lot of progress, I legitimately might go in and say, nah, I'm a musician and, and vice versa. You know, if I have like a really bad musical performance or something, you know, and then someone's like, Hey, so like, you know, do you put acting first or music first? I'm like, Hmm, today, you know, you're asking me at a time now when I'm particularly sensitive to this question. It's hard to figure out the order to put them in often, at least for me. And I think for a lot of people, it's tricky, partially because of economic necessity, which is that we have to have all these different jobs in order to make it. That, that's what I'm finding more and more is that to be an actor in L.A., it requires you to also be a tutor or, you know, a, uh, a waiter, worker. a construction waiter. worker. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And like, depending on who you talk to, you know, you, you need to make sure that you can put that thing which is going to catch that person's interest first. But at the same time, it's kind of what you were describing and something that I think about a lot with Alexander is that like use, those concepts of like what to do from the very beginning 
and how to consider your next step or the next action that you make, that's interdisciplinary, like at the very root, because you have to do that for everything. Yeah, for everything. And Alexander called his work a pre-technique, which I think is so smart. The first time I heard that, I was like, what does that mean? And then I <laughs> unpacked it a little bit and was like, oh, yeah. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Meisner actor or a Strasbourg actor or a no technique actor, you know, it's, it's there for you or a drummer, you know, or an opera singer. It's, you can apply this, this personal process of self-organization and self-guidance into process that kind of leads you into whatever else you do. And I think that's why I decided that I wanted to, to study it. You know, I had some lessons and I was like, wow, this is, this stuff is so cool and it'll really change and inform the way I think and do everything that I do in my life. And it definitely did. You know, I was like feeling, I was only getting cast as like fishermen and loggers in my twenties. And I was like, I want to play some, I want to play a fop and a Moliere play. But my body's kind of expression was limited to my habitual experience in my body. And so after doing a lot of Alexander, that changed and I was able to play the fop and a Moliere play. But also it changed how I do all of the things that I do. Well, I, I wanted to thank you for, uh, you know, introducing me to this technique and like opening my mind up to some of the things I think that I was either, I knew instinctually or things I didn't know and being able to put that together for myself. I mean, you talk about inhibition and direction and awareness all the time and everything from music teachers saying it's about the notes you don't play as much as it's about the notes you do play to acting teachers saying don't speak unless you feel the impulse to to uh, just in your daily life with exercise, which is like, don't exercise without proper form. Think about what the form is going to be when you do a bicep curl or when you do a lunge. It, it pops up everywhere. And so this concept of this pre-technique that you talk about has been so useful for me as a way of considering the framework of what I do, which is super complicated and has always like, I've struggled with intellectualizing or understanding what the hell it even means that I decide to play music one day and do a podcast one day and act one day. And this has given me a framework to understand, I think, what we are all doing as artists. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to talk about it. And because freedom is a good thing. You know, we should all be allowed to be, be free and be ourselves. And I was talking about being a homeschool kid. You know, it's like that was the that was the joy of that is that I could do I could be any of those things all day long. And as an adult, I'm still working on getting back there to seven-year-old me who can, you know, be a truck driver, be an actor, be a teacher, be a surfer. Uh, so tell, tell us really quickly about where we can uh, find you in terms of if people want to take lessons or if people want to learn more about the technique. So Alexander-wise, um, I have a website which you can check out. It's www.thepowerofpoise.com. And that can connect you to me and more information about the Alexander Technique and how it can help you. Um, I definitely recommend checking that out. And yeah, you can check in with me and we could you know, talk about lessons and or a class. I teach a group class with my teaching partner, Jennifer Schultz, which we may be offering online this fall because who knows what the world is going like, to look like post-coronavirus. Um, but we are here and teaching AT. So that's one way to check me out there. Um, my acting stuff is pretty much all up on IMDb. You can track me down there. Things I've worked on, projects I'm working on, all that stuff. That's a good, a good resource. And then the Instagram, which we talked about, I'm Nikos Georges. 
on Instagram. Sure thing. Well, Nick, thank you again for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, man. Great to be with you. You can subscribe to Art in All Its Forms on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Art in All Its Forms Pod. That's Art in All Its Forms Pod. Uh, if you want to send us an email with uh, comments, questions, concerns, musings, you can email us at aiaifpod at gmail.com. That's aiaifpod at gmail.com. Thanks.